today with us is a person that I highly, highly respect because she has put her life on the front lines. One of the things we've said around here for years is a saying by an old missionary named C.T. Studd, which if I ever change my name, I'm changing it to C.T. Studd. That is the greatest name in the history of missionaries. But he said this, he wrote these words one time, some want to live within the sound of church and chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. And Jessica Munoz is doing just that. She is the founder and president of Pearl Haven. And Pearl Haven is an organization committed to the restoration of children who have been trafficked. Mostly girls, but not just girls. And... She has given her life as a medical professional trained in trauma recovery to build a tremendous impact. And we hope today that what happens in this room is a part of the tidal wave starting in Hawaii, where she's coming from, that results in our contributing to that momentum. And uh, I could not recommend her more highly in what she's doing and in a few moments, she's going to speak to us into this issue that is so relevant on Super Bowl Sunday. And so we're going to look at a video of what Jessica's doing and at uh, a place that in English, not in Hawaiian, stands for New Life for the Children. And uh, then after that, Southbrook, I would ask that you give Jessica Munoz a raucous, warm, Southbrook welcome after this three-minute video. So take a look, and then we'll have Jessica up here. The commercial sexual exploitation of children happens every single day in Hawaii. The reality is, is that there is a market for individuals who want to buy sex from children on a daily basis in horrendous ways. Kids are recruited in a variety of ways. A lot of times it's online. And so that simple friend request can turn into, hey, let's meet up at the mall. They can be exploited through street walking. It can happen through child pornography. Meeting a friend at school who then takes you to a party. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. And it's not just girls, but boys too. Today, two out of three children will be approached for a sexual favor within 48 hours of being on the run. 70% of those children that we're working with are of Native Hawaiian blood. When you think, oh, it would never be my child, it absolutely could be your child. At a really young age, I was being sexually abused at home by a family member, and that led me into going into foster care. One day I went to Waikiki, I met up with a guy, they rolled up on mopeds. It wasn't anything scary and I didn't go home that night. There's so much shame around being trafficked or being abused or being exploited or sexual abuse that we just don't talk about it. And so for years and years and years, I just hid this and therefore I didn't heal from it. So Ho'olanapua, which means new life for our children, was really birthed out of a passion to shine the light in the darkness and watch new life come forward. Pearl Haven is the biggest project by far that Ho'olanapua is engaged in. We're building a 32-bed, at full capacity, residential treatment campus. It's specific to girls ages 11 to 18 who have suffered some sort of sexual exploitation, sexual abuse, and trauma. The girls will go to school here. They'll get their therapy here. They'll engage in life skill development. We're gonna have our two classrooms along with a movement studio, a full commercial kitchen and a teaching kitchen. We'll have a cafeteria area and a central gathering space. Therapy rooms, a family gathering room, a central gathering space, and the ability for families to come in and engage. Our goal is that the girls will be able to stay here for at least nine months to a year so that they can start walking that process through. These children will have a place to heal. They'll have a place that I didn't have. I wouldn't have suffered a lot of the violence that I suffered, and I would have looked at myself differently. Our goal is that there's not one person in this community that doesn't know that this happens. And then we will see the change that we have to see in order to, to bring restoration to these children's lives. Good morning. Aloha, everybody. I think this service is much more awake, so here's to sleeping in, right, on a Sunday morning. 
Um, I'm Jessica. I'm so honored to be here this morning um, and have an opportunity to share my heart, my heart for these kids, my heart for our country. Um, And I really want to thank the leadership of this church. Um, You guys are very blessed to be under this covering of somebody who's willing to allow this to be talked about. And so I want to honor this platform that I've been given, Um, along with my friend Sarah, who goes to this church. uh, She is a powerhouse, a change maker, and um, I'm just so incredibly honored to have this opportunity to be with you. Um, I have a a very interesting story. Um, From the time I was a little girl, I knew I wanted to work in the medical field. I knew I wanted to be a nurse. That's me up there on the right-hand side. Um, and yet I, I kind of was one of those kids that was like, okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and my path is really, really clear. It's really directed. And then 10 years ago, God had a different plan. And he said, oh, you think you, you know what you're going to do, but I actually have something else that you're going to do. And I started seeing kids come into our emergency room that we weren't recognizing as victims of trafficking or exploitation. I had seen many signs, but didn't know what it was that I was looking at. And so God started to unveil my eyes and was showing me the deception, the abuse that was happening to our local kids, to kids in America. Little did I know that this was going to intersect with the juvenile justice, the child welfare system, law enforcement. After all, I'm, I'm just a nurse. And yet God said, no. I've called you to disrupt. I've called you to shake things up because what's been happening, the status quo around this issue cannot happen any longer. So I was driving home from work uh, in 2009 and the sun was setting and it was casting the shadows on Mount Ka'ala, which is the largest mountain on Oahu. And I clearly remember God saying, I've called you to shine light in the darkness and watch new life come forward. I've called you to expose one of the darkest areas of humanity, to love the broken, and bring the lost children home to a place of renewal and freedom. And I'll tell you at the time, I really didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it was gonna cost. I didn't know exactly how I was supposed to jump in and start getting involved in this, but I just knew I couldn't say, somebody else should do something. And then you realize there's three fingers pointing back at yourself, and you're that person who can do something. Um, I spent some time in Africa, uh, Cambodia, and Thailand. I've worked with kids uh, who've been victimized and traumatized in many ways. And I found that it's real easy for us to say, well, yeah, of course, in those other countries, right? Those third world places. But I can tell you that the trauma that these kids have is the same trauma that I see when I'm at detention and when I work with the girls that we work with now. It really knows no barrier, it knows no boundary. And just because it's America doesn't mean it's any different. Did you know that the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children had over 23,500 endangered runaways reported in 2019? They estimate that one out of six of those were victims of child sex trafficking. The average age is 14 years old for kids ending up in this. The FBI estimates that there's over 100,000 kids that are trafficked every year in the United States. 60% of trafficked kids usually come from the foster care system, the child welfare system. Trafficking's been reported in every single state. Not one state is exempt. The cyber tip line um, in 2018 for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children reported 18.4 million images of child sexual abuse, sextortion, sex trafficking uh, advertisements, 18.4 million. Who's looking at that? Who's buying? The only reason that we have this problem is because people buy. If we didn't have kids being sold, we wouldn't have this problem. So as I started on this journey, it's really started with one conversation at a time. One step of obedience at a time, because I fought God for a long time, saying, I don't want to do this. And then it became very clear that you have to do something. 
And so we started out with raising a lot of awareness, advocacy, we built community-based programs, we uh, do a lot of in-school prevention work, um, we do mentoring, uh, we have advocacy, we have peer-to-peer -peer support. And it became really clear that one of the big needs that um, exists, not just in Hawaii, but nationally, is the fact that we only have 600 residential treatment beds for kids who've been trafficked in America. And this isn't short-term shelter, this is not overnight stay, this is something that's intentional, longer term, and really provides the structured treatment that this population needs. So I had a vision of starting a place called Pearl Haven. If you think of how a pearl is formed, right? That irritant comes into a shell and you don't realize that this beautiful thing's forming inside. Pearl Haven uh, will be very unique. Um, it will be a place where kids from across the country would be able to come and find healing. But with it, and the most importantly, is that we're trying to build this model of care that's needed for this population. Now, it's pretty miraculous how we ended up even with this property. And I have to share this story because, again, God is so unconventional, right? So land in Hawaii costs a million dollars an acre. So ridiculous. I don't know how anybody lives there. Um, <laughs> So we had looked at all this property and there became this place that became available. It was owned by the state, 12 acres, 20,000 square foot facility, totally destroyed by vandals. But that place had been set apart for us. And there was three competing entities. We were the least likely candidate. We had raised about $50,000. We were very passionate. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> I think I, I'm like the white heli lady that goes in front of the very local land board. And I said, look, we have nowhere for these kids to go. And they voted in unanimous support for us to have a minimum of a 30-year lease at $480 a year on a property that's valued at about $15 million. So we're, we're halfway through our renovation. Uh, we have a contractor, we have lots of volunteers, um, and we've really built this project with a lot of love and a lot of just intentionality. Um, and with it, uh, we actually had our um, engineering and architect firm do about $900,000 worth of pro bono design work, which is pretty much amazing. Um, so with this, uh, this place, um, it served as a beacon to really expose what's hidden and what's not often seen by most of us. The reality that kids are being trafficked, the reality that they need a place to heal. So what does that mean for the church? What does that mean? I've been born and raised in church. We are so blind. That veil, that awareness has to be lifted because it's gonna take us rising up to fight for this next generation because their innocence has a price tag. And we have to stand in the gap for them. We have to be moved with compassion because compassion compels you to action. We don't have to stop and say, oh, I gotta pray about it. I love that line. The reality is, is that God's already told us what we need to do. He told us we need to rise up and we need to do something about this. We have to push back against the darkness because it's dark and we're the light and we have to change culture around how we've responded to this population. Ezra 10.4 gives a pretty clear directive. It says, rise up, take courage, and do it. We might be doing this work in Hawaii, but it's sending a tidal wave across the ocean to expand over here onto the mainland continent. Nothing we're doing is different. It just has to start and it has to have a seed and that seed needs to grow for the sake of these kids. It's time to reclaim the territory. I have never been in such an intense spiritual battle as I have in stepping in and doing this work. Satan has had his hand on this territory for far too long. The sexualization of our culture, of our kids, it has to change. 
but it's only going to change with intentional prayer, intentional breakdown. Deuteronomy 11, 11 through 12 says, the land that you're take, you are to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It's a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. And Isaiah 58, 12 says, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. They'll raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorers of streets and dwellings. It's time to take back our communities. And it starts with the family. Family breakdown has led to where we're at right now. We have been mandated to be the repairer of the broken walls. You can all do something. I was never intending to be in Hawaii for more than two years, and that's 14 years ago. And I know people go, oh, it's gotta be so hard in Hawaii. Let me tell you, it's actually one of the hardest places I've ever worked or worked on transformational change. You have generations of things that have never changed there. And yeah, I've learned a lot about grit, about perseverance, but also about blooming where you're planted. Because when you look at Daniel and Esther and Nehemiah and Ezra, they all were in the midst of the most secular culture, yet they were doing what God had called them to do. Together we can pioneer this, because I'll tell you, the world does not have a strategy to end trafficking and to address this problem. It's got to be heaven-breathed. It's got to be God-ordained. But it needs this church to rise up and to say no more. We have to rise in the pursuit of justice because justice is not a legal degree. I'm not an attorney. I'm not a law enforcement officer. I'm just a nurse. But you know what? It requires thought. It requires energy. We have to be strategic in the way that we pursue justice for kids because if we remain silent in the face of oppression, it will overtake us because this truly is a crisis and it requires the response of many. And how can we remain silent when the voices of so many kids have been silenced? I really believe in uh, shining the light um, that's, I, I'm not a big like social media person, but I've had to learn how to do it and the hashtag thing. And, and I'll tell you, but shine the light is really key because when we have exploitation and abuse, it thrives in the darkness and it breeds secrecy and shame. And when you shine the light, you create a chain reaction. We can normalize this conversation because we cannot have any more kids living in this perpetual cycle of abuse and violence. And it's time to come alongside of the social structures and the law enforcement structures that exist in our community so we can be that support. They cannot do it alone, and we need more people in this fight. You are a part of being in this legacy of culture changers, but you have a choice to make if you wanna jump in and get involved. Anything that we're doing, can be replicated. It's nothing unique. It just takes obedience. It takes being faithful, and it takes rising up and getting in and being a part of this journey. So one of the questions, the first questions I wanted to ask Jessica, because as you can only imagine, I did a lot of research this week to get ready for this, and and just doing the research, Jessica, it was an experience, and uh, one of the most stunning statements Jesus ever made is he said in Luke 17, 1 and 2, he said, uh, there are many things that cause people to stumble, but to anyone who causes one of my little ones to stumble who harms one of my little ones, it would be better for that person if a millstone were put around their neck and they were thrown into the heart of the ocean. Jesus left no ambiguity there, right, when it came to how we treat children. And I asked Jessica this question, how often during your day do you think of millstones? Because... You know, often when we, we, people can become the darkness they oppose, that, that, that we start taking that, it becomes an anger in us that 
we lose our soul in that pursuit. It's really a, a huge deal. So you're in this. How do you, how do you manage the soul cost of this? I, I try to spend as much time in the light as I can. Yeah. Um, but I also recognize that the victimizers have brokenness as well, right? Yeah. And so I pray for compassion, um, but also recognizing that it's sin, right? Sin is entangling those who abuse, those who buy, those mm -hmm. who sell. Um, and so, you know, I also can see the resiliency that these kids have and the hope mm -hmm. um, and the way that we've been able to... Um, work and walk alongside these kids. You know, people love the thought of rescue, right? That's the, that's the big thing, oh, let's rescue the kids. And it's like, well, the reality is is that the real work starts once yeah. you find them. Yeah. And it's a lifelong journey of healing. Where does that passion come from? Because the sustainability, I'm, I'm really interested in people who are able to sustain leadership as long as you have and something that's so in, intense every day. And it's not an up and to the right journey you've gone through with Pearl Haven right? It's up and down. Where does this come from within you? So I believe that certain people have a justice gene on their DNA, which drives mm -hmm. them to make right what's been wrong. Um, I think there's a lot of people sitting in here today who have one that needs to be activated. Yeah. Um, but you look at Corey Ten Boone and Mother Teresa and Abraham Lincoln, and they were willing to just keep going despite the mm -hmm. cost, because I think it comes from deep within. Um, for me, it's about obedience, but it's also about a passion that this is truly life-saving work because every single day that goes by, kids are dying mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And um, I, I think about these kids every night when I lay my head mm -hmm. down. And those times where I'm like, gosh, I'm so tired. I'm so, I want to be done. Mm -hmm. I want to quit. Somebody else can do it. Um, and then I think, yeah, but what are you going to tell these kids? Yeah, it's very inspiring. Speaking to that, what's the cost? What, what to talk about to the church the literal cost oh. in dollars of not restoring these children? Yeah. So, right now, oftentimes when kids are identified, they're locked up, they're put into detention, youth correction settings, or into programming that's really not specific to meeting this need, um, their specific need. And um, in Hawaii, we spend about $225,000 a year of taxpayer money. Um, and actually in New York, 000. it's about $795,000 a year. Um, and they estimate that if you don't bring this level of restorative care to kids who've been traumatized, um, that when you extrapolate it out over their lifespan, it's over $10 million per child. Um, and so the need for levels of care like Pearl Haven is essential if we really want to look at true prevention. Yeah. It, one of the things that's interesting to me, what you said this weekend is, there are two areas where the church pulled out and then entities filled that vacuum. One was the arts. The church originally championed the arts. Church pulled out and, and I think the adversary has taken charge of that to a great extent. The other is in social service. That was originally the church that was providing social, social services and, and we pulled out. So one of the things you're doing is disrupting that status quo that says the government's got to take care of it, the government's got to take care of it. And then the, the, uh, the absolute lack of passion on the church's part, which is incredulous to me. What is your strategic vision to do one of the most difficult things to do in leadership? And that is disrupt the status quo. Because you have a passion. What's your plan? So we work with every single layer of government, law enforcement, social service that touches this population. And what we're trying to do is create diversion programs, avenues away from the status quo. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also not afraid uh, to challenge um, people on their perspective and view and how we're doing this. Um, but we also have to develop this model of care, right? Because policy gets driven off of outcomes, right? And so the need to develop the model of care, yeah. aftercare for this population, why not better uh, to have, um, you know, some God-breathed strategies into that, knowing that this is a very broken, destroyed life, and to bring that restorative yeah. care. But also, I think that the church, like this, with these kids, it is not just 
again, it's not just the rescue. It is, it is, it is, we need people to be raised up to mentor these youth, to help them transition into adulthood. There's nothing more powerful than having someone come alongside you. All of us can think of that one person in our life that mm-hmm. really helped us through different challenges. And it's the same with these kids because it's, the healing is lifelong. And we, they need someone to advocate for them. And what not better than us who sit under incredible teaching every week oh, to amen. be mentoring yeah, and, yeah. and pouring back into the yeah. youth. You yeah. like that? Yeah, I like that. We, you know, so Hoala Napua was, is, I love that image. You said you didn't pick that name. No. It means the new life for the children. And uh, when we get into the fundraising aspect of this, the imagery of that is really pretty. Um, in the last 10 years, it's had an amazing impact, which I just love this. In Zechariah, Zechariah said, do not despise small beginnings, which is almost like a prophecy of Jesus because mm-hmm. he's a little baby born to a little poor peasant girl in Nowheresville, and do not despise small beginnings. And so you started, what's the impact you had the last 10 years that now has reached the shores of Dayton, Ohio, right? <laughs> I definitely thought I would never be here. Yeah. In February. <laughs> in February. Uh, yeah, it yeah. is not warm outside. Yeah. Um, but no, we've had the amazing opportunity to work with over 9,000 students. Uh, we've done a ton of prevention mm. work. We worked with uh, CBS and the TV show Hawaii Five-0 uh, in 2017. Yeah, that bit, because you had a hand in writing that script. Yeah. For a Hawaii Five-0 episode. Yes. I'm real curious. Did anybody happen to see that episode? So it's the seventh season, episode 19. Um, it had 9 million viewers. It was uh, one of their highest rated episodes, right? It was, right? yes. Wow. Yep. And we, so we, you know, it was a great way to raise awareness, and it wasn't the Hollywood version. Um, it yeah. was really actual on stories of kids we've worked with. We've worked with over 300 youth who've been victimized um, or abused. Uh, we've, you know, made it through... Uh, 68% of our capital campaign, which is amazing. We're halfway through our renovation. Um, We've had the opportunity uh, to not only help with changing policy locally, but impacting what's happening uh, nationally on this conversation. And uh, we're real connected with a lot of entities doing similar work. Mm -hmm. Um, But there continues to be this void and vacuum around the aftercare piece of working with this population. So we want to be a part of that tidal wave. You've created this earthquake that we hope uh, results in a tidal wave that we're a part of. Something you said this weekend really struck me is that it's not hidden. This evil's not hidden. We're just not seeing it. And I, it saddened me to know that you said one of the most difficult places for you to get into is churches, because churches don't want to talk about this, which is just... Justin and I were talking earlier, and he said, you know, the first thing that ought to happen when this was revealed in a church was somebody stood up and said, stop church now, we're going to go out and do something about this. And, and it's the truth, I love that. And uh, one of the things I discovered in, in the reading is that there are so many parents in the suburbs who think they're teenagers going out on Friday night with their friends, and they're not. Mm-hmm. They're, actually, they're actually being trafficked. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't say that to overly alarm but before we get into some functional things we can do, speak into that. This is here. Mm-hmm. It is. It's here. See that thing in your hand? Yes. So, it's, so speak <laughs> into this thing. Yeah. I, it, the average age that we're giving kids a, a smartphone is nine years old. Nine. Do you hand your 15-year-old the keys to the car and say, good luck? No. But we're handing kids these cell phones. We give them so much access to a network that we have no control over. And the reality is, is that it's no longer the white van, the cookies, and the lost dog. This now goes into their bedroom. That perpetrator has access. And it's not a stranger. These people come into their lives, befriend them, and so it's not stranger danger. It's these people get to know your kid. So know what they're doing online. Mm. You should be uh, invading their privacy. Do you pay their cell phone bill? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's safety. And we had a young gal this morning that right, was talking to you earlier that a 56-year-old man mm-hmm. had approached her today on her phone. And it was just, you know, you go, oh, my gosh, what are we living in? And so, you know, we have to do something. 
one of the cool things about our church is we believe in an abundance mentality. You know, a lot of, honestly, a lot of churches don't want other entities to come in because that takes money away from the church. We just say, let's trust our people. And there's collectively plenty of oil and then there are hills that if, that if you feel led to support Hoala Napua, that you could come alongside. Sherry and I are going to do that. And so, Jessica, speak into your needs right now where we can, we can help be a part of the energy of this tidal wave, because that's what a tidal wave is. It's energy through water. So think about how do we contribute to the energy. So every dollar that's sewed into the work that we do goes into all the programs, um, which are being replicated actually in other parts of the country. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we do work on every single island, uh, so it's also with expansion, as well as seeding into the continued development of Pearl Haven, because every single thing feeds into each other, right? And it's all those building blocks. And so I love that whatever comes out of anyone feeling led to give, like you are literally sewing into a legacy of change that you can be so proud yeah. that you were a part of. Yeah. And I showed you a text I got from a dear friend of mine who uh, has given so much money to our church and he, his dog was sick so he couldn't be here today, but he's watching on Facebook Live. God bless Facebook Live. He said, <laughs> hey, I want to I give $10,000 to this. How do I do it? So boom, uh, which is so cool. Uh, I hope that was worth your coming all the way oh. from Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so show on the screens here. Jessica, would you lead us through that? Yeah, so the word pua means flower. Uh, so we figured it'd be real easy uh, to text the word pua to 41444. Um, everything is tax deductible. It's pretty easy. Um, we make sure that we multiply money. Uh, we are very much into efficiency and effectiveness. Um, around everything that we do. Um, and uh, I would just um, encourage you too that when you leave here today, you can no longer leave these doors and say you didn't know. And so I'm gonna charge you that as you go to a Super Bowl party, you'll be the life of the party and you can plant those seeds mm -hmm. that this happens because it's now on you to spread that awareness. And don't forget to say a prayer, not only for us, but for what you plan to do and how you plan to get involved in this yeah. in yeah. your own city. Well, again, I want to give a shout out to Sarah Teske. Sarah is a Southbrooker. Sarah lives in Oakwood, um, 23 years in the Marine Corps, and now she has been, she's fighting a new battle. Six weeks ago, maybe, Sarah, she, came, she said to Levi, hey, would you guys be open and having Jessica come and give us ideas, Super Bowl, Sunday would work because you guys are going to the National Prayer Breakfast today. And I thought about, let me think, of, yes, yes, we'll do that. And so it's just such a perfect weekend for you to be here. For us in the midst of this reality of this national quasi-holiday, there is this reality that we can no longer ignore. And so, Sarah, would you guys give it up for Sarah for initiating all this today? Yeah. And... Um, Thank Jessica Munoz for putting her life on the front lines. Give it up for Jessica Southbrook this morning. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you. Thank you. We have, um, we have something that we want you to see, and this is uh, just a package in these last few moments that is deeply moving in that through the spoken word and through the, 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 the word that through music, uh, your heart may feel vulnerable in the next few moments, but open your heart as, um, as we listen to maybe what God's heart is on some of these issues. So look at the side screens. Father, our hearts are wrecked. We're all outside this door. Maybe we already knew, or maybe we're brand new to this sight of unspeakable sin, but the door's been flung open. Our boys and girls are for sale. We can't unsee it, unhear it. We know this. And so this right here is the moment. The moment we decide what to do. The moment we decide if we do or not do a thing right now. It's you and it's me in this, this moment. You can't stay here in the hall. 
not for long. No one can who would choose it to sit on evil's doorstep, camp outside this most depraved closet. Who would choose to look upon this system that exploits little children, little lives? Good God, are you good God? Some of them are nine. Father, my heart is wrecked. Father, fix it, fix them. Fix those men. You've done miracles. You fed 5,000 people with four loaves and two fishes. Won't you do miracles again? I cry, fix it. While I hold the tools in my hand, not all but some to be sure, tools needed on the other side of this door. Here I am with my eyes to see, hands to serve, and yet I know this moment. Been here before, a flung open door, an unobstructed view of unambiguous injustice, a dark place that devastates the heart of Jesus. I've been here on the doorstep of a room, a room I don't want to believe in, a room I'd rather pretend was not part of our house, a room full of sound I can simply block out. That's right. I don't have to hear any 14-year-old voice. I can just close the door. That's the privilege most typically chosen in this, this most pivotal moment. You can close the door. I can close it. But we still know of it. No one can unhear a cry for help, but we sure can muffle it with enough noise, enough money, enough prayer to feel steadfast, enough, enough podcasts, enough on our calendars, enough in our shopping carts, enough noise, 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 noise is what we need to live large in a house of the dying. That's how we cope or don't cope with the broken. We can choose the noise, We can close the door. Or what if the prayer begins this way? Father, my heart is wrecked. But don't, don't put me back together. Don't put me back together just yet. Fight my fatigue. Kick my defenses out. Distract me from decorating my cozy corner of this house. Release me from peace. Keep me disturbed, Father. Father, how can I help? Father, what do I have? I'm searching my pockets for something, something to fight a room full of power, perversion, and profit. What do I have? I have nothing. I'm not what you call an influencer. I don't have much sway. I'm not a big fish. I don't make that bread, if you know what I mean. You know what I mean. I have a little bit of bread. So, what you have is a little fish with a little bread. Are you still a God who can work with that? Could your math make my offering more than enough if I just give it up and go in? Here's hoping. Doors open. Lord, send me in. We stand in the hallway outside the door. We've been here before. It's uncomfortable. But there's an oar that turns this moment into another one, and another one, and another, and another, and a morning, and a Monday, and a million invisible, missional, sacred, significant, tiny and transformative, unglamorous but valorous moments to come. When we go through the door and roll up our sleeves, till the battle is won and the closet is clean and being nine is safe and so is 14. Father, my heart is wrecked. But what comes next?
So that's the question for you, for us collectively. What comes next? One of the most wrecking moments of your life may have just occurred. And you could look back on Super Bowl 2020 weekend and say that was when I realized I cannot live outside reality anymore. I have to open up the door. This is happening on our watch, friends. Did you hear me? This is happening to our kids on our watch. I remember one of those wrecked moments of my life was when Sherry and I were in Caesarea Philippi. And we were standing at that cave where the Canaanites in their sexual perversion would worship Molech and they would literally throw their babies into the fire because the babies got in the way. I always wonder why, why do the Israelites always be leaning toward idolatry? It's because it always included sex as a god. And I remember the moment when it hit, you know, it hit us that this was what Jesus was looking at in Matthew 16 and he said, guys, guys, right here at the gates of Hades, that's what it's named, the gates of Hades, I will build my movement and the gates of Hades will not stand up against them. What I'm going to build in a movement, this kind of evil cannot stand against it. Are you a part of that movement? Are you a part of that movement, friends? Because I don't know about you, but we're going to move. We're not going to rust out. We may break down, but we're not going to rust out because we are going to move to make our city full of light and darkness. And uh, if we can be a part of this, oh man, what a big deal. Those of you who volunteer in our children's and student ministry, I just want to applaud you because you're a part of children's identities being formed around the reality that they are beloved children of the Most High God. And if I can use these words, I dream, I have a dream of a place where it is safe for nine-year-olds and 14-year-olds. Amen. So we do this. We do this. We present opportunities for you to be led by the Holy Spirit to give of yourself. And so right now we're going to take our moment of generosity, but you may take this moment also to say, you know, not only have I contributed to the movement against evil through Southbrook, but I'm also a part, I want to be a part of Huola Napua, that I want to be a part of new life for children. And uh, you could take the time to do that. As you do that, listen to this song. Because every one of these kids is somebody's daughter. Cause I'll go Can't you even tell that I don't know 
us, we want to end with a time of worship as we sing this is Amazing Grace. because there's going to come a day when grace and love win. Amen? Amen. When love wins for the final time. And I just want to remind you as you leave here, you know, that to live the life of faith is to live not letting the distress of reality stop you from dancing in the kingdom of the heavens that has come. And so that's why today we have a couple of options for you wherever you are. One is we want you to enjoy just a time of community in the atrium and party and fun and games and stuff. But we also want to, you to know that we know that there are some of you who have been marginalized, exploited, and abused. And we have our amazing ministry called Strip Church. It ministers on Friday nights to the local strip joints and ministers to the, to the young women. And... Uh, they're just trained in carefully helping people through situations like this. And so they're going to be over here in this corner if you need prayer. We've had a bunch of people come forward this weekend who have been told stories of, of I was abused. We had a little eight-year-old girl who came up and said, I, I want to start a lemonade stand because this happened to me when I was four and I don't want it to happen to any other kid. And you can go over there and get prayer. And just know that you're not alone, right? And that there's going to come a day for you and for those beloved children that Jessica is caring for when there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more crying, and the old order of things will have passed away. Amen? Yeah. 
But we also know for some of you that you sit here and there's loads of shame in a moment like this because especially a lot of guys here, if the statistics hold true, are struggling with pornography and you know that you don't want to contribute to this industry, but you are. And we have an amazing recovery ministry that maybe Super Bowl 2020 will be the day that you look back on because that was the day you said, I am powerless to overcome this evil on my own and I need to find a power greater than myself. And his name is Jesus. And our people in recovery will help you one day at a time on your journey if today you will step out of the darkness and into the light. And we can help you and you will find amazing grace. Right, Howie? Right? You'll find amazing grace is there for you. So we want you to do that. Enjoy, you know, the dance. We have this thing going on called silent dance something or other, where you you have, what's it called? Silent disco, where you have three different options, country, disco, or pop, to put on your headphones. It's taking place in reverie. If you're Baptist, it's worship, okay? It's just, it's just you're worshiping, all right? And, you know, just go in there, and it's a lot of fun. It's been fun watching it. And I have a dream that someday I'll be able to say this on Super Bowl Sunday. Go Browns. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you next week.